Welcome to In the Gutter, a podcast that is all comics, all bangers, all the time, with story expert Lonnie Diane Rich and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. One of the hosts has read almost no superhero comics, and the other has read almost all of them. We'll let you sort out which is which. And now, In the Gutter. just bullshit chit chat about stuff but you know here's the thing though like usually we open up these things with this like chit chat like how was your weekend tell me about your mojito seltzer water like stuff like that (laughs) but i am i cannot uh, like wait to speak to you Uh about i don't even know what this jazz is that you're having me read um so like you have told me this is your favorite comic book right this is your favorite writing this this is, run right? this yeah is yeah this run okay is your favorite um without spoilers tell me why and i'm not questioning it i'm just like i'm confused right now but i'm really looking forward to getting into it so man it this is actually part of the show these are in my notes yeah. so yeah so there's a couple of things right okay there's a couple of, of reasons for that so mm-hmm. this was 1997 is when this hit stands. And I mean, this is going to sound, some of this will sound like so ridiculously sort of almost contrived. It's like a, like an origin story of Josh giving a shit about superheroes again. Cause I was kind of, (laughs) I was kind of putting my boots on in the street in 1997. Like I've told you before, the nineties were a tough time. Once you decided you cared about quality, uh, well, except in art, the art was beautiful. But once, once you decided you re- wanted cohesive narratives, you know, that was not, that was not for you. Mm. So I was kind of on my way out. I was a Marvel guy, like for most, yep. like, like I love Batman, the animated series and stuff like that. But I mean, when it came to what I spent my money on, it was 95% Marvel stuff. And I'm sort of on my way out. And I see this cover, which we're going to talk about, but I see this cover on a spinner rack. I think this is seriously the last comic book I bought at a grocery store. (laughs) And it just caught me because of this cover. And I was like, which is not even that interesting a cover, but we'll talk about it in a minute. Because the little Mm -hmm. bit of of DC that I had read before was like uh, Justice League International. So Mm -hmm. I had a little Justice League brush. And anyway... This cover, for lots of reasons, grabbed me. I think that I think this is my first Grant Morrison stuff, who is now my favorite mm-hmm. writer of anything ever. Uh, has just uh-huh. his in, uh, sorry, they came out as non-binary just like a year or two ago, and but it's been twenty years for me, so I'm still ca- like just transitioning strange. the pronouns. Mm-hmm. They they have over this time become just like my favorite writer of anything. And I love almost everything they do. Even the old stuff that mm-hmm. is that I don't like, I'm like, but I know why I don't. I mean, you know, like anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so on top of that, this is the gateway. This was how I became like a hardcore DC guy. And it was right before mm-hmm. this, this thing that, that's like the last golden age of DC comics for me, when almost everything they put out was at least good. And a lot of it was great. Mm-hmm. And I used to think that that might be like old man shaking his fist at cloud stuff, but I've had conversations with younger people. It's mm-hmm. actually, it really was that good. Like yeah. a time. Mm-hmm. And this was my my intro to that. So this was like my intro to becoming a DC fan, my intro to becoming a serious Batman fan, a Grant Morrison fan. And it just ran for like, not this series, but like my my just unalloyed appreciation for the DC universe just ran rampant for like 
12, 15 years mm-hmm. uh, after this, you know. Um, and it really, uh, for better or for worse, has kind of imprinted on me what the scale of your super team comic books should be like. That, Like, if you're the JLA or the Avengers, it should be like this. Okay. You know, like, right. we don't do small ball. We got the big guys. Let's do the damn thing, right? <laughs> so. You are absolutely correct. Nothing about this is small. No. Nothing about this is understated. Nothing about this is subtle. And that is not a criticism. Like, there's there's space for different kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go ahead and get started with our, our credits. Now, credits will also be in the show notes for anybody who's interested, along with a link, so that you can be sure that you're picking up the right issue, because sometimes that can be confusing with comic books. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Okay, so today we are reading specifically JLA Volume 1, mm-hmm. not just on the bookshelf, but actually Volume 1, because before this, they had always been billed as Justice League of America. So mm-hmm. this was a relaunch. They got a new number one and a new volume, first volume okay. ever. So JLA Volume 1, number one, entitled Them. Written by Grant Morrison, penciled by Howard Porter, inked by John Dell, colored by Pat Garrahy and John Calise, and lettered by Ken Lopez. All right. So I guess the next thing to do is just to hop right in and let's just do the summary. Do it. All right, Jack, roll the music. In JLA Volume 1, Issue 1, titled Them, an alien ship lands on the White House lawn and a bunch of super aliens calling themselves the Hyper Clan fly out and start fixing, like, all of Earth's climate problems. I mean, kind of. I don't think the Sahara is supposed to be a lush garden, but, you know, okay, whatever. The JLA is suspicious and feeling a bit shit on because they save the world all the time and everyone just gives them shit for it, but okay. But then the Hyper Clan starts gathering up supervillains and executing them with lasers and without due process, making the JLA even more suspicious. Then in outer space, the JLA space team gets attacked by a bunch of red monsters and Green Lantern can't beat them, so he protects the team with some kind of shock-absorbing goo and they crash to Earth in a big bubble of gooey superhero. Now, the JLA is bringing in the entire team to deal with this threat, even though the world loves the Hyper Clan and thinks they're great. They're not great. They're stupid poops. And this is war. I don't understand how you can write that synopsis and claim that you don't know what's going on. You know exactly what's going on. (laughs) And that's, that's the joy. That is, that is the joy of it for me. Okay. I Uh mean, that you... Like, look, do you know every single detail and every single person that was on the page? Of course not. That would be ridiculous. Uh, It was a little sketchy for me in 1997, (laughs) frankly. But you know what's going on. Like, it it feels like a lived-in universe. It feels like there's a million jillion people, which it should because it's this big, expansive space. The scale is huge. You Mm -hmm. don't get every detail, but you know exactly what's going on. (laughs) Well, it kind of feels like, um, like you know, like in Spider-Man when he jumps on top of a moving subway, you know, and then tries to like, yeah. figure out how to navigate. Yes. It feels like the reading experience for me as someone who is not as familiar with this, uh, especially this kind of, like I have been firmly, you know, getting my feet wet in the Marvel space, uh, with the exception of Sandman, which is DC Vertigo. So that's kind of like a different vibe. Um, but this is, you know, like my first moment in this kind of universe, which you have been talking to me about for years. You have been telling me the difference between DC and Marvel is that Marvel kind of plays small, right? And DC 
like goes full out like they they absolutely they're gonna be there they're gonna fucking do it right so i i get like i've been prepared for that and i have to tell you like overall well no like the overall response you know for me on this issue is like it's not that i don't like it you know there are actually a lot of things that i like here but this is like like neon sign, super sour gummies, Carolina Reaper chili pepper, you know, wild ass ever clear shit, right? And I still haven't quite <laughs> caught up to the scale of the universe and yeah. to like how all of that is working. So for me, I am just like adjusting, you know, my expectations were that this was going to be, you know, like a little wild. Um <laughs> And and this like went far beyond even those expectations. So it's definitely like I'm having fun, but I also am really kind of enjoying the fact that like I don't know what the hell's happening. I don't know why it's happening. I don't know what's going on, but I'm enjoying the ride. So I I often describe this kind of uh, approach to comics as like a Jim Steinman song produced by Phil Spector. Like everything okay. is louder than everything else. <laughs> And I love it. I really love it. And in a real sense, this series kind of ruined me for big superhero comics because there is a part of my brain that thinks it should always be like this. Right. If it's the JLA or the Avengers. Not forever for everything all the time, which, um, I mean, Morrison tends to think big, Mm -hmm. but even this is a lot Mm -hmm. for them, you know. So um, you're not wrong about how it's supposed to feel. But and this is the thing we'll talk about more with the with the story when we get into the story stuff, but you keep saying that you're overwhelmed and you don't know what's going on, but you know exactly what's going on. You just feel like there's a bunch of stuff that whipping past you. Yes. And I I think that's really masterful storytelling for superhero universes because they're big and they're expansive and they keep growing and they should sort of feel like they all fit together mostly, especially when stuff is this big, but you can't expect every reader to pick up on every detail, Mm -hmm. but you still, so, so it has to be there to make the whole thing feel lived in and real, but you can't hang your entire plot on some particularly obscure you know, character, unless that's literally the point. And that can't be the point or shouldn't be the point in a JLA book. So I, yeah. what I love here is you're having exactly the experience you should be having. Okay, Like good. it's, this is the, <laughs> this is the vibe you should have. And right. it, and it kind of stays this way mm-hmm. for okay. the whole run. I'm in like, I, you know, and I, I don't hate that they don't take the time. Like we were talking about in Captain America about all the exposition, right? You know, yes. and like how we're going back and they're explaining the exposition, how incredibly efficient it is, although sometimes a little bit clunky, but definitely very efficient. And here they're like exposition, fucking get on the ride or get off. <laughs> like this is where we are. And I don't hate it like you know i've i've kind of like as a writer um you know figuring out where i am with exposition where i feel like it's necessary where i feel like it is and i think that writers overall feel like we need to explain a lot more Mm -hmm. um and one of the things that i'm kind of appreciating about grant morrison is that they are showing me how to not do that right how do you how do you not explain shit and just move through it and be like, get on the bus or get off. Like, there's something about that that I actually really deeply appreciate and respect. And I'm looking forward to spending time in a world where that's happening. And I feel like I can learn a lot from that. 
What's really, when you say that to me, what's particularly fascinating is there are like two or three pages that are nothing but exposition. Really? But they do it. Yes. The, like the news coverage. Walking. The news <laughs> yeah. coverage, right? Like all right. the news coverage is to escalate the shit out of this thing yeah. in two mm-hmm. or three pages mm-hmm. without, I mean, that could have been under other hands, two or three issues on their own, the stuff with the Sahara Desert. I was and just about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But instead, the point is to get to a place where the Justice League needs to deal with the Hyper Clan, but doesn't necessarily have Earth on their side when they start out. Right. right. Like that's mm-hmm. that's where we have to get to. So you actually have two or three pages where you're. Well, thanks to the miracle of it being a newscast, you kind of mm-hmm. are shown and told. But it never feels like that because it's so relentless. Like, it just feels like story, even though it's telling you things. It is telling, but it's also, but it's doing it while, see, this is the thing. It's never doing one thing at once. It's doing two things. Because we are seeing this in the thing, but we are also experiencing it with, uh, you know, members of our, you know, protagonist team. Yes, And we're seeing them have this experience and respond to what is going on. So while, yes, I think you're right, that is exposition, I didn't even realize it was exposition because so much shit is happening at the same time and they're doing more than one thing at once, which is one of the things I always tell writers to do is like, use your time with your reader efficiently. Do not bore them. Do two things at once. You can do it and it's a a lot more fun. And I think that Grant Morrison is um, showing me my advice dialed to 11 and I'm getting to see how that actually works at that level. So I very much appreciate them as a writer. I think I'm going to enjoy this. I think you will. It's going to be a really different deal. And actually this is probably the place that I first started using the phrase, tell your story punching, which is like the superhero version of tell (laughs) your story story walking. walking. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're superheroes. Damn it. Tell your story punching. Okay, so coming into this, I got to say, uh, we did discuss, like, my notes um, right before we started recording. And once again, I've gotten the cover art wrong, but I'm going to go ahead. I'm talking about the title art, but I thought it was the cover art. And then Joshua was going <laughs> to correct me. We're going to go through this whole process of figuring out what is cover art and what is not, especially because I use Kindle versions. And mm-hmm. the clarity in the Kindle versions is not necessarily quite the way that uh, that it is when it's, like, you know, in a print version or on the stand. Uh, but the cover art that I thought was cover art, which is not cover art, which is the title card art, um, is the Hyper Clan on the White House lawn with the title Them in fiery lightning strike letters at the top. Um, we have Protex, the shirtless golden boy, who is the apparent leader, a silver mohawked dude in a Spider-Man kind of crawly stance, um, a woman in blue with white hair, a bald woman with pink skin and metal claw hands, a big guy made of what looks like graystone, a blue dude who looks to be made of ice or water, a skeletal death-looking dude in a red mask and a white cloak, and an army tank with a face. <laughs> and it's a lot. Yes. And I, yeah. I will talk about the the breasts, uh, the representation yeah. of breasts uh, with, with these characters. But let's go ahead and correct how I got that wrong <laughs> again. <laughs> okay. So I think that what we landed on is it's mostly kindle confusion and not knowing exactly where the book starts right yes absolutely. so you can mm-hmm. you can also be excused because um you know the the 
the real cover of this first issue is not on its own merits super interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, this is a little bit like we talked about with Captain America. Yeah. That it's a pinup more mm-hmm. than like an action shot. Yes. It will not stay that way. Like, mm-hmm. for the most part, they will start to become much more like attention grabby. Uh, uh, you know, sort of covers that's like of what's going yeah. on and thematic yes. stuff and everything. Well, also th- in the Kindle version, they have the art, and I did find it. It's at the beginning. It's before like an interstitial page that they that is the art grayed out with some of the detail information over it, like the credits and everything. But it doesn't have you know JLA at the top. It doesn't have the text over right. it. It just right. looks like a poster. Um, so yeah, so like it was confusing for me. But let's go ahead and talk about the actual cover art. <laughs> It's basically mm-hmm. a really great beauty shot of mm-hmm. your seven big guns of the DC universe who are going to be the core membership. And actually, they're going to be the only membership for a while mm-hmm. of the JLA. Mm-hmm. There's there's something of a tradition dating from the mid-80s of new JLA Well, Mm -hmm. I should say new Justice League lineups, because this was also true for Justice League International and Justice League Europe. Mm -hmm. But new Justice League lineups get a, this is the new team cover, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And this is especially important for this issue, because it was a reintroduction of the JLA, Mm -hmm. with its membership being seven big guns instead of a bunch of little triggers, which is a quote that somebody, I don't think that was a Morrison quote, but it was somebody at the time, Mm -hmm. was like, we'd had a bunch of also rants. We loved them. Mm -hmm. They had actually kind of had Justice League lineups that felt more like Avengers lineups, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're just eh, not the premiere. I mean, that's remember, I may have uh, mentioned at some point that Avengers like everybody's been an Avenger at some point, like everybody's been on the roll call. And so you can get these kind of like backup characters almost as your main Avengers lineup. Mm -hmm. That's what the JLA had been for a while. Um, And this was a big reintroduction. Like, well, why are our headliners not actually in our headline supergroup? And and that was this. So they really needed to announce that. Big Starburst number one, JLA. This is the first time it's ever been billed that way, not as Justice League of America. Mm -hmm. Uh, And here are our seven big guns. And, And it isn't Super duper exciting. But like I say, there's a tradition. And for me, it really works. I mentioned it caught me walking by it at the grocery store. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some subtle stuff going on here. Relatively subtle stuff. Like (laughs) they're all looking down on you. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not because like the JLA is better. It's Mm -hmm. that the scale is such that like you're not operating on their level. Right. Mm -hmm. And you get that as soon as you open to the first page. But it's right here where it's like these are our guys Mm -hmm. and they are all just going to be bigger than life. Well, yeah, and um, also we, I, and when I say I don't know what's going on, like I feel like this cover sort of backs me up because I'm looking at it, I'm like, all right, I know Superman, I know Wonder Woman, I know Batman, great. Flash, I recognize, like he's got the little lightning on his chest, all right, fine. Uh, green Lantern was the one that I was like, okay, so who's the guy in the green mask? Because he's my favorite, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and then there were the other two, and I was like, I don't even know who those two are. Now they are the Marvel. Martian, what is his name? Martian Man? Man Martian? John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. And then there's Aquaman. Yes. Who I do not even, looking at him, I don't even remember him being in the issue. He's not in this issue. Okay, that's why then. Okay. But so he good. is going to be one of the big seven that's that's in the group. Awesome. So this is really funny about the Martian Manhunter because he, until recently, uh, he is like, 
the most core member. He has been a member of almost every iteration of the Justice mm-hmm. League, but he's not the one who's known well outside of comics. Like there was a time not too terribly long ago, I got given uh, like Justice League, the animated series DVDs for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I start watching them with my son and my nephews, like right away. Like, yeah. what? Whoop, this is what we're doing Christmas mm-hmm. morning. And my mom, who grew up, or I should say she didn't grow up. She had to deal with me growing up with right. all of this. Mm-hmm. And she comes in and she's just wandering through and she kind of stops and she's like, I know who everybody is except for the green guy. And it was funny to me because he's in every Justice League. Like he is the one you would expect. If you know about the JLA, you would Mm -hmm. expect, all right, we're going to start with the Martian Manhunter. Who else is in the squad? Right. (laughs) Um, But he's the one that you don't recognize him. My mom didn't recognize him because he's not well known outside of the comics until fairly recently. Like he's all the way in the back of this story. I mean, he is kind of like, bringing up the back which is a powerful position you know mm-hmm, like he's mm-hmm. bringing up the whole thing um but what's funny is that when i was over on endless the sandman podcast we were reading uh the sandman comics and uh, neil gaiman did a lot of incorporating of other like dc uh characters and that kind of thing especially yes. in the beginning of those of those stories and the martian manhunter was there too and i was like oh mm-hmm. who is this you know and i asked you about it we talked about it a little bit and so i got that little background and then when i saw him here did not make the connection like, i think i made the connection and i was like oh that's the dude from before but had i not had that <laughs> like i don't think i ever would have really understood um you know like who that is or what that and i mm-hmm. still don't remember because i you know i gotta tell you joshua like you have spent hours countless hours educating me on on comic book <laughs> stuff and i retain for the long haul probably like 15 percent of it i would say because there's so much that i don't understand and i don't have context yeah. for it so i'm listening to it when we were talking on listen up a-holes you know i would listen to it and i would be fascinated by it in the moment but i would have no ability to retain it because it wasn't attached to anything that i understood yeah now yeah. here we are especially when you talked about like dc compared to marvel and and the dc characters that i didn't have any uh connection with um but i am absolutely fascinated by all of this and i actually do have a question for you um yes you know we just finished the captain america run which was like one of the things that i loved about it was this like deeply interior story that was represented with external you know conflicts and we had a lot of punching mm-hmm. and kicking as we need to have in those but that we really were dealing with something that was very internal the antagonist was living inside of cap and i think that that is really an interesting kind of thing it was very you know it had a lot of traction for me like i really like that here we have a group story which Mm -hmm. is bigger and all of that but even avengers as a group my understanding doesn't go as big as um as like the jla is that not usually not not usually there there have been moments of Mm -hmm. course but i think the um I think the context that I gave you (laughs) once upon a time was there was an intergalactic war in the Avengers that basically dominated the books for like five years or more. (laughs) And then at one point, there's going to be like a six issue story Uh in this run of JLA that is about sentient colors from a higher dimension having a war with each other and Earth caught in the middle. And that's Tuesday. (laughs) 
<laughs> that kind of scale is so far beyond my comprehension. So I'm really enjoying getting into this. But uh, can you like quickly, and this is something I'm throwing out at you. This is not in the script. Um, <laughs> but talk about the dynamics of a group story in comic books um, as opposed to a personal like single hero story. Like, is it just a matter of scale or are there other things at play in, in those kinds of stories that you find? I'm going to talk in some broad generalizations sure. about the Avengers and the JLA because they, they aren't always what I say, but they are mm -hmm. typically what I'm going right. to use here mm -hmm. because they're good contrast. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, the thing about the Avengers is it is always a bigger or almost always a bigger scale than any individual hero is doing on their own. Right? right. And part of that is a function of the fact that that's why you have a super team. We'll mm -hmm. talk about that more with the JLA. Mm -hmm. But the other part of that is, is that, um, you have a lot less space for that kind of interiority when you have five to 10 people yeah. versus your one main character and their supporting cast. Right. Mm -hmm. And with the Avengers, as an example, they tend to be more like uh, a kind of like a dysfunctional family. Right. Um, in fact, in fact, uh, the worse that working conditions get in my life and the USA in as a whole, I've actually turned that around and said that the Avengers are absolutely the co-workers who are saying to other people, I want to return to the office because otherwise I don't get to talk to my friends. For fuck's sake, they're your co-workers. Stop <laughs> acting like they're your friends. I mean, you can have friends at work, but you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, yes. you mm -hmm. need a life outside of that. Mm -hmm. And so there's somewhere between dysfunctional workplace and dysfunctional family, and it's very soap operatic. Right uh -huh. in yes. in the Avengers, or tends to be. Mm -hmm. The Justice League, almost every one of these characters has at least one book of their own. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like Batman and Superman have three to five books at any moment. Wonder Woman almost always has a book. Flash mm -hmm. has a couple of books. Like everybody has their own book with their own supporting cast. Mm -hmm. That does not overlap. And we'll talk a little bit more because you mentioned everybody in their own cities that like yeah. DC tends to be these little fiefdoms. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas in Marvel, everybody lives in New York, right? right. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of like hurly burly on top of everybody. And there's a distance yeah. built in to these characters in their individual books. So when the Justice League comes together, it's not only a question of scale, which is admittedly usually much bigger mm -hmm. in the DC universe than the Marvel universe. But it's also a fact that we don't bring these characters together to see how they're doing. <laughs> We have a dozen books or more to see how they're doing. Mm -hmm. This is what they do when they come together, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's somewhere between, um, I don't know, it's somewhere between like a like a best of the best sports team dynamic, mm -hmm. you know, like dream team dynamic and mm -hmm. a workplace. Yeah, it's like mm -hmm. the, the all-stars of... But, but they are just, there are people within the JLA who are friends or become friends, but they are not like together. They're not having Justice League cookouts. That's not how this works. You know? <laughs> they don't go for shawarma. Yeah. No. No, they do not. They do not. Now, you might have like Superman and Batman hanging out or Superman and Wonder Woman hanging out. And eventually we'll talk about this because it's great. But uh, Green Lantern and Flash start out loathing each other and wind up friends. So there's oh, that kind of stuff going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it is it is like done in snatches and in moments because that's not what the book is about. But you you will really appreciate it, especially yeah. since you've kind of latched on to Kyle. But that's just not the vibe. That is not what the JLA is for because they all have books to do that. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So it's both a question of scale and also a question of what are we here to do? Mm-hmm. And the question of what are we here to do is all sometimes in contrast to what else are these characters doing? Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't need a bunch of interiority from Batman and JLA. I have five bat books. Just show up and be a badass. You know, right. which he does in this one, which Absolutely. he does he comes in bringing up the rear. Um, all right. So before we get started talking about the story, let's do a little bit with the interior art, because, oh, my God, like <laughs> neon bright, loud, fast, no breathing, no thought of is that maybe too much? Maybe I mean, no, well, I don't no. hate it. I'm just adjusting. It is kinetic and frenetic and you know so flavorful and it's there's so much i like could not take it all in i read this thing once where i texted you live and most <laughs> yeah of it i got was that like, text oh my god right <laughs> um and then i read it two more times and i still feel like i'm i'm just it's so fast it's so much it's so bright it's so in your face don't hate it again like this is not mm-hmm, a criticism mm-hmm. it's just that like i am adjusting to this kind of of speed um but like you know the Art style, I think, while it is incredibly bright, you know, and incredibly intense, um, I, I mean, I like it. Like, it is here to do a thing, and it is going to do that thing. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, I mean, I think that intensity and that overwhelmingness, again, like, that's how it's supposed to feel. Right. You, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, and of course, I'm an old hand at this, but I really feel like you were probably able to follow the, the flow of the page for the most part. Like... As big and overwhelming as the style is, the draftsmanship is there, much mm-hmm. like it, it's there in the writing, where yeah. I don't know everybody, but I know what's going on. And with the page, it's like, I, this is a lot to take in, but I know how my eyes are supposed to go. Right. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was also my first brush with Howard Porter uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as an artist. Oh, actually, I think I read a few issues of The Ray, but that was before I was a serious DC guy. So yeah. this is my first, like, really paying attention. And obviously, it's a really different style than what we were used to with Epting um, and Lark in the Captain America. And it's loose. This yeah. it, it, There are places where it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I mean, the faces are a little too exaggerate. You know, there are some places where Porter goes a little too hard but like looking at this kind of story like you got to take those big swings i'd rather he take the big swings and miss a couple times because going small on this story would just it wouldn't work you know (laughs) yeah okay so like now may be a good time to talk about the boobs right um because (laughs) the and it's mostly like i didn't notice it as much in wonder woman um she's got like the whole like you know breastplate thing and so she's you know but the boobs on the alien women in the hyper clan were so um exaggerated yeah round gravity defying um they really kind of like it came at me they were like aggressive breasts and so like i'm just wondering you know part of the aesthetic um is this just like part of what jla was still doing in 1997 um for a what i'm presuming to be predominantly male audience like what's what's the deal with that (laughs) okay there's I'm going to say a lot of things that I don't know are excuses, but they are explanations, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we talked a little bit about scale. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. in general. But I mean, superhero stories are always kind of like bigger than life. Yes. Uh, even the small ones are just mm-hmm. bigger than life. Mm-hmm. And the same kind of, well, I don't want to say the same kind, a similar kind of exaggeration you can see in the male figures, right? Like yes. you can count yes. every single mm-hmm. ab, yes. you know, uh, mm-hmm. on the team. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are dealing with the fact that this is a traditionally male audience mm-hmm. that is traditionally dealing with a male gaze. Um, yes. I've done a lot of reading recently, actually, that like these huge muscular dudes are very much drawn for men, actually, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that is not necessarily what the majority, and I'm speaking in big, broad terms, but yes. you know, that's mm-hmm. not what the majority of women find attractive. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you want somebody fit, but look at this guy. He's a roid monster. I'm not into it. You know, seems to be, you <laughs> yeah. want a lot more like softer features, you know, bigger eyes. Like if you were drawing this to be the men to be attractive to women, they wouldn't look like this. Even mm-hmm. the men are drawn to be attractive to men yeah. in a power fantasy way mm-hmm. that gets applied to the women. Also, it's mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. now, but it's not great. Yeah. And on t- so you're going to have a lot of that like wildly exaggerated physique with a very male gaze mm-hmm. going both directions. Mm-hmm. I do not defend this necessarily, but it is traditional. It's what sort of superhero stuff looks like broadly. Yeah. And this is doing this is doing so much other big stuff mm-hmm. that they really want to give the superhero reader handles that they will recognize. So like as much stuff is going on this page, there's a lot of like traditional superhero stuff going on also for better and for worse. Right. And here's the thing, like, um, you know, the way that I phrased that question came off like very, and, and, and the thing is I find that I benefit more from these kinds of questions when I approach it with curiosity rather than condemnation. Like this is the reality of the culture that we live in. And I think that we need to look at it, um, you know, with a fair amount of side eye, but without that sense of, you know, righteous indignation about it, because this is what we've grown up with. This is like, it's exactly this kind of stuff, which is a huge contributor, not entire contributor, but a huge contributor to the body issues that I've had since I was very, very young. Right. So when I see stuff like this, I feel like it's important to question it. And at the same time, understand that the people who were creating during this time, this was often like went unquestioned. It went, you know, without, and when I say unquestioned, criticized i mean without critical thinking applied not necessarily condemnation applied um so these are questions that i feel like it's important for me to ask as i reset my expectations of what my body should be and how all Mm -hmm. these things you know should work um and understand kind of the forces at play because that curiosity benefits me a lot and when i apply that curiosity to the things in stories that will affect me or trigger me or whatever that is an incredible incredibly valuable thing for me to bring to my therapist. So it's always really good to approach these things with curiosity, (laughs) while at the same time understanding that the creators who were working at this time did not intend harm, but they were working within a cultural milieu that had influences at work that they didn't even recognize, you know? So whenever, you know, like I need to look at these things, I need to ask the critical questions. I feel like that's part of my job and it's also part of what I need to do for myself as a person, but it is with curiosity, not condemnation. I just kind of wanted to get a sense for like, what that was actually about. And I'm really, you know, interested in that answer, which, you know, applies the male gaze to men as well, because I feel like men are 
also, you know, get a lot of harm from this kind of representation as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're all in it. We're all part of this. I'm not condemning anybody. Um, but it was a question that I was interested in because those boobs like really just were coming at me. It was like a 3D thing. And I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say also, keep an eye on your main characters. Um, it's not that they're going to have less aggressive bust sizes necessarily, mm -hmm. but um, Wonder Woman's going to be in almost every issue. And she is um, incredibly important. Like they talk about Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman as the Trinity of the yes. DC universe. Mm -hmm. Right. And she is, you can even see on the cover, very muscular yes. in a different way than the men, but mm -hmm. it's still like very muscular. Um, you're going to see that, especially when Barda, Big Barda mm -hmm. shows up. Like mm -hmm. her name is literally Big Barda. Okay. Uh -huh. And and she is broadly speaking a woman who could beat Wonder Woman into the ground like a penny nail. You know so, what? That name sounds really familiar. I feel and my reaction to you saying it is incredibly positive. I feel like you talked about her in an episode of Listen Up A Holes and I really liked her. Uh, really, Scott, is she a likable character? Well, yes and no. Okay. I mean, um, so so she's gonna be when she shows up in the JLA, she's very abrasive because she's kind of pulled the shit detail being there. She's not from Earth. <laughs> mm -hmm. She doesn't want to be there. She's another guy's babysitter and did not want the job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, but generally, yeah, she's great. Uh, she yeah. is actually my um, half of my first Jack Kirby tattoo oh. because uh, she and Mr. Miracle are the greatest love story of all time. I will hear no That's arguments. That's what it was. I remember you telling yeah. me that story. That's what it was that I wanted to read that. Okay. Yes. So one of these days I'm going to absolutely want to read that. Um, I think probably now is an appropriate time to get into our story response. And of course, in my notes, it's basically uh, my, my whole <laughs> heading for the section is WTF, right? Uh -huh. um, and here's the thing. I'm going to go through this and then we'll talk about it. But most of the time, when I have complaints about the pacing of a story, it's that it is too slow. Like I say, stop uh -huh. explaining shit and just tell your story walking. Um, and this issue is like you were talking about tell your story punching. I'm like, this is not tell your story walking. This is tell your story running. Don't know who Firehawk is? Fuck you. Don't know who any of these heroes are? Why Green Lantern is the only one who seems to have any humanity or vulnerability? Figure it out on your own goddamn time. Who's in space? Why are they in space? Why are they murdering people with laser eyes? How is this allowed to happen? Shut up and hop off the jet ski or get the fuck out of my way. Um, so there's all of this where I'm and, and like, I don't hate it. I don't hate mm -hmm, it. It mm -hmm. is just it's it's a lot and i i tried to adjust this i mean the thing is we're coming off of captain america and the vibe of these two stories could not be more different um and the adjustment you know the 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 whiplash that i'm having from moving at that speed to moving at this speed um Kind of fascinating. I did that on purpose and warned you, <laughs> yes, you uh, that I did a that on purpose. Of times. <laughs> but here we are. So, okay, I'm going to get some of your specific stuff. We'll go to the what what I liked. I have yes. some responses to the stuff you liked. But mm -hmm. when it comes to this WTF feel, I, I feel like I don't want to beat the dead horse. That's what it's doing. It's exactly. doing that on purpose. Uh -huh. um, and I and I again, I don't think it's right for every book all the time, but it feels right for this scale. So, yeah. as an aside, mm -hmm. I have actually been reading a lot of mythology. In direct translation lately. Ooh, yeah. um, doing some research, reading some Irish mythology, reading the Tain in, in 
three or four direct translations. I read Beowulf in a translation at least once a year. I've got copies of the Prosetha and the Poetic Etha on my shelf. I've got the Hermetica. Like, and it all feels like this. Like, it's yeah. all caps. Big shit's happening. This is who doing it. The stakes could not be bigger. <laughs> Keep up or get left behind. What's happening? You know. <laughs> All that said, I want to say again, you know exactly what's happening. You're identifying <laughs> what I love about this is that you, you're you like, who the fuck is this? I don't know, but you know what's happening. You I don't guess. know who Metamorpho yeah. is, but you know he almost killed himself saving the rest of the old Justice League falling from orbit. By the way, uh, talk about scale. Wait, I uh, thought that how was are we going to survive this? Who saved them? Okay, Green who is Lantern. Metamorpho? Green Lantern kept the attackers busy by fighting them while Wonder Woman tried to hold the entire satellite together. The satellite goes to pieces. And in the process, the the folks that are in the satellite, Metamorpho, the elemental man, turns himself into stuff that could survive I thought that was Green I don't know what's happening. Who is Metamorpho? Which one is Metamorpho? (laughs) He's the, the one who's like purple and orange, white head. But he's not on the cover and we haven't. No, because he's he's part of the group that the big guns are replacing. That's why they're on the satellite. And that's why he's talking about they just came. They didn't come up there to have an emergency. They just came up there to clear their shit out. Like okay. they're moving out. Okay. okay. Um, but his deal is he can turn himself into any element that he understands the chemical composition of, which yeah. is why he's like, shit, what's the chemical <laughs> composition of teflon shit uh you know that was green lantern because he was there like trying to figure out all the goo like how to the goo was metamorpho the goo was metamorpho but but green lantern was in space covering himself with a protective layer and imagining green things Uh uh-huh he was like he made like a green beast of some sort that was like attacking yeah he was fighting so, he's like, fighting. This is what I'm talking about when I say you say I know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, you basically I do got it. Not know you basically what's got going it. On. So that's that's okay. one of those places where not recognizing some of the second stringers of the DC universe worked against you a little bit, right? You didn't yeah. know who you know. They mentioned Firehawk. You didn't know who Ice and Nucleo and Metamorpho were. No. Metamorpho is the only one that they say, which I appreciate because yeah. uh-huh. they did. I did another, see that, but I didn't understand what was happening. Yeah. Yeah, but it's Green Lantern giving him the business, which is great. <laughs> Metamorpho's like they sound like cheap toys. Why don't yeah. they get c- cool names like normal spandex people? And yeah. Green Lantern's like, you mean like Metamorpho, the <laughs> elemental man? And he's like, get back to work, kid. Love that shit. Love it. Well, so okay. so that's yeah. where those details lose you a little bit. But as far as the big movements of the story, like you yeah. knew that yeah. the old that the JLA's headquarters is destroyed and that's yeah. bad and mm-hmm. that the Hyper Clan did it, but they're saying they did. By the way. How much do I love the fact that Superman's like, so I had a conversation with Protex and he said that the uh, Hyperclan had nothing to do with it. He's lying. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. they don't show the conversation. They show no, right. they don't explain how Superman knows. It's just because it's not important. The important thing is he's lying. We know it. Let's, you know, continue on. Like, that kind of economy of storytelling is, uh, I'm into nice. it. You I know? mean, it's, you know, like, I, I, 
most of the time, you know, when I talk to my clients and I give them feedback, I'm like, you can move this faster. You do not right. need to, you know, um, and like this is, and I love this because this is everything that I have been like, probably not on the scale or at this speed, but like, I am always telling people to speed things up. So now I know what's at the, the end of this scale. Like what is at the top <laughs> of this? I finally have a top speed for scale on this. Um, You're not this wrong. Idea of how quickly you can tell a story and telling your story walking. Um, so, I mean, I, I, that's good. That's definitely good. Um, so let's talk about the things that I liked about this. Cause there were Tell me a the lot stuff of you things liked. that I liked. Um, so in the midst of, Oh my God, what the fuck is even happening here? These are the things that, that like grabbed me. Like I liked. Now let me ask you, let me ask you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Do you want me to respond to each one or do you want me to wait until you get let's to your do list them and individually. come back? Let's do it one by one. Let's do it okay. point by point. All right. So first point is I liked that the JLA is saving people's lives and taking shit for it. Like the, the lack of, okay. There's a mixture here. There's a lack of gratitude in general with the people who get saved. And I think that that tracks pretty well to like what actual life is like. Um, uh -huh. the people who are actually out there doing the good work usually get shit on for it. Um, and that does happen. Um, at the same time, considering how often in these stories we see for lack of a better term, because it's a terrible, shitty term, a lot of collateral damage, a lot of mm -hmm. innocent people die in the process of these big wars between these, um, you know, super people. Um, and I can understand why the average person is like, I just want to get a hoagie and go to work. And I got shot at by lasers. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Right. So I get that. But I do really like that the JLA is there. They're all like, oh, something is hinky here, you know? And um, and everybody in the world is like, no, no, I buy the bullshit. I like the bullshit story because the bullshit narrative is easy for me to understand, even though they're terraforming the Sahara, which was the moment where I was like, oh, no, these guys are no good. You cannot <laughs> do that shit. So uh, so that's one of the things that I really like is that they're doing the good work. They know what's up and they're getting shit on for it. Feels like it tracks. One detail that you might have missed, because it yes. happens right at the end, and you're not quite ready for Batman to always be the guy who shows up and says, by the way, this is what's happening. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but we establish that right here when he says, uh, hey, Superman, can you see microwaves? And there's mind control being broadcasted all over the Earth, like yeah. low-level mind control, mm -hmm. and Batman figured mm -hmm. it out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's mm -hmm. part of the immediate shitting on the JLA, but it's not all of it. You're right. Like, there had <laughs> to be a foundation to build that on. Yeah. So... Uh, what you're hitting on there is very much uh, a big part of me shifting from superheroes as cops to superhero as firefighters, because yeah. first of all, a cab forever, but also let's save lives, let's mm -hmm. manage emergencies, mm -hmm. let's, you know, like, keep people safe. It's right. do we have to fight sometimes to do that? Yes. But what we're really here to do is keep people safe, save lives. Right. And the JLA in the superhero space is kind of the pinnacle Mm -hmm. of that in my mind because you're looking at characters like superman who that's their whole deal like it's mm -hmm. the never-ending battle and you're looking at um uh mark wade was a writer who put these words in superman's mouth saying this to batman is when you scrape everything else away from what batman is you just have somebody who doesn't want anyone else to die yeah. you know mm -hmm. and wonder woman is a peace ambassador mm -hmm. you know like this is anyway, this is that's what they do. They save lives. They keep people safe. And yeah, but it's hard and not great. And um, this is it's going to be a while before we get to it. But there is very much a through line through all 
of Morrison's JLA stories. Mm-hmm. And there is going to be a moment way at the end that I want you to be on the lookout for and contrast it with this. Okay. And how quickly these people were ready to toss the JLA aside for the Hyper Clan. Oh, very fun. There are bookends to that I like thing it. I like across it. You know years of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, man, awesome. you're going to be into it. That's awesome. All right. So another thing I liked, uh, I really liked that Superman came in and he was like, all right, let's all chill our shit down. Let's just talk to these guys and see what's going on. And uh-huh. then he's like, hard fucking nope. You know, he gets to know them <laughs> first. He gives them a chance. And then he's like, hard fucking nope. So Superman, I guess there's some, and again, this is my, you know, exposes my lack of experience with the original source material. Uh, But Superman always seemed to me like a stupid pretty boy. And that may be because like, you know, there is, again, I know we're not going to have the argument about whether somebody can be overpowered, but Superman does seem to me overpowered. Uh, He can do everything. He can fly in space. He's got laser, like all this kind of stuff. Um, And so for me, that feels like too much too handsome too perfect too blah 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 um but i what i like in this is that superman comes in he's calm he's like let's see what's going on let's observe for a second he observes for a hot second he's like fucking no these guys are bad news and then is like you know calm in his approach to like how are we gonna handle this situation he doesn't just fly Mm -hmm. off and start punching people in the face he's like we got to handle this situation we got to figure out a plan we got to do all we got to gather everybody together and think about what we're going to do and actually make a plan really really liked that yeah uh so if if the jla is the top of the pyramid of superheroing superman's the capstone okay Mm -hmm. and and morrison has big big superman feelings um which is just starting to get polished at this point in their career. Mm-hmm. But it's really important, yeah, that he be the best of us. Yeah. Which doesn't mean perfect, but it means always trying. So, like, even at the very beginning, he says, you know, guys, those are just guns that you have. And maybe you should put them away until we know what we're dealing with. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Right from the jump. That's mm-hmm. that's his job. And uh, Superman is going to continue to be in that space. Um, and there are going to be a couple of times when he overreacts. Uh, and it will be called out. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't mind him not being perfect all the time, um, but I do like when the text understands. You know, first of all, that this isn't okay, and second of all, that there's probably a reason why he's acting that way. Like you know, mm-hmm. it's a mm-hmm. nice thing, and I really I like that. Even you know, as as funny as it is to say in context of this comic, that's a little bit of subtlety there in that character work, yes, which I yes. really, really enjoy and appreciate. Um, I also kind of love that everybody's in their respective cities uh, feeling both threatened and also knowing that this is not how superheroes work. And so we see this, uh-huh. like, I love this hint of expertise, right? There are things that with expertise, you can look at in a second and you just know it's wrong. You may not be able to articulate why it's wrong, but you know because you have the expertise in that area that something is amiss, right? Um, and so here here we have the entire world and, and, you know, as we discover later, like you said, there's mind control, but the entire world is like, oh my goodness, these guys are wonderful. Look at all the stuff that they're doing. Isn't this great? Blah, blah, blah. You know? Um, but all of the superheroes are like, uh-uh, not good. This is not a good, like, I don't care what the news is saying about this being good. I am not buying that line. Um, and everybody universally has the same response because they know what it means to have power and they know what it means to use it judiciously. And they know that the ways in which these people are using that power is not judicious or is you know judicious but toward a goal that is not beneficial to the people of earth yes um yes. so I, I really liked that we had that over and over and over again boom 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 
boom, boom, this is not okay. From all of these guys, while all of the bombast is happening with the hyper clan that's just going around the world, you know, fixing shit, right? You know, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Um, quote unquote fixing, yes. Quote unquote fixing shit. <laughs> um, so I thought that that was pretty cool and I liked that as well. And also seeing everybody, you know, in their element, in their space, getting a sense of who they are before they all mm-hmm. come together as superheroes. So one thing that DC, and I mentioned this a little bit, but one thing that DC does that Marvel doesn't, um, and there there are reasons that it mm-hmm. happened this way, yeah. some on purpose and some by accident, but uh, the superheroes in the DC universe operate in their own cities. Mm-hmm. They are almost mini universes, little fiefdoms. Yes. Um, and sometimes that makes the team ups more difficult or makes the the universe stuff make a little less sense. Like if Gotham fell down, mm-hmm. why didn't the JLA show up to put it back together? You know, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but in this case, I really like that it shows the expansiveness of the universe again. And we do bounce from every single person who's going to be a member of this team. And none of them look happy about this. Mm-hmm. Like the closest you get is a kind of distracted Green Lantern, mm-hmm. you know, and a Wonder Woman who, again, is an ambassador of peace. She is not immediately ready to punch people's face, but she doesn't look happy. Yeah. A lot of the other people, like Flash is worried. Yeah. Um, Jean is pensive. Like, it's mm-hmm. all, you know, steepled fingers like, yep, this is going to be some shit. Yeah. Um, it's good. I, I like that a lot. <laughs> I like it too. Um, I have to say my favorite thing in this whole thing is Green Lantern, right? Um, yeah. The only humanity or vulnerability that we made time for in this um, comes from him. This uncertainty, his lack of confidence made me attached to him so hard. Even though I wasn't sure exactly who the guy was and I had to text you and I was like, who's the guy in the green mask? Because I absolutely love this guy. And you were like, that's Green Lantern. I was like, okay, apparently I'm in love with Green Lantern. That's awesome. Um, you know, I had no idea. Um, even though they clearly identify him as Green Lantern, Wonder Woman but calls there's a him lot going GL. On. There's yeah. so much spinning around. Uh, my eyes were still swirling at that point. Um, but I I absolutely loved him. I connected with him. His whole thing about like, this is like playing with the Beatles, you know, um, yeah. and him feeling not up to the task, but suddenly, suddenly presented with something that he has to do. And then he fucking does it. Like, he's not yeah. sure he doesn't, but he goes out and he does it anyway. And I think that there is a, um, there is a courage in that, in mm-hmm. being unsure mm-hmm. and like, you know, having that self-doubt, but then having the courage to do it anyway, to give it your shot, even though you really believe that you might fail. There is something about that that I absolutely love. So I completely connected with this character. This character is going to be my guy throughout the run of this, I can tell already. Yeah, it, that's absolutely true. So let me tell you a little bit about him. Yes, yes um, please do. So that's Kyle Rayner, mm-hmm. and he is one of the few great ideas of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 90s was a tough time, but Kyle is great. And he mm-hmm. really is my favorite Green Lantern, and his portrayal in this book is a big reason why. So he is a shiftless 20-something who was given the most powerful weapon in the universe in an alley, at <laughs> more or less at random. Um, and... The legacy of generations of interstellar protectors Mm -hmm. fell on his shoulders alone. There used to be thousands of Green Lanterns, and now there is one, and he's it. Oh my God. And he and he'd never been a lantern before. So he doesn't, he's like coming to terms with that 
what with all of this wow. weight on him on top of the fact that that ring is often described as the most powerful weapon in the universe uh-huh. um it runs on willpower and an imagination <laughs> he has he's an artist he has infinite yeah. imagination but his willpower isn't where it ought to be wow like like that they even described that a few times um you know in in the in the like in the pros you know right. when when uh running the ring is like quitting cigarettes and he feels yeah. like a 60 pack a day man, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. His imagination is amazing. His willpower is not. And they mm-hmm. actually usually stress the willpower. Like it's the willpower that it takes yeah. to run the ring. Um, so, and so he is by far, not just the youngest in yeah. this lineup of JLA. He's mm-hmm. the most inexperienced and where you're going to see that contrast. And you actually, the track is already laid in this issue, even though they haven't met yet. Mm-hmm is that his sort of counterpart is the Flash. This version of the Flash is Wally West. He's the second, well, he is the third person to wear the mantle of the Flash, the Mm -hmm. second person in this line. Like from the Mm -hmm. Silver Age Flash was Barry, his uncle. Barry died Mm -hmm. and Wally took over Mm -hmm. as the Flash. So, But he was operating as the Kid Flash before that for years. Mm -hmm. So this is another fun thing with kid sidekicks is that at a certain point, you have a bunch of 20-somethings who have literally been doing this longer than many of the adults, right? And Wally as Flash and Dick Grayson, who was Robin and then becomes Nightwing is is another one of those examples. And so you have these two guys who are basically the same age and one of them who is just like old hat mm-hmm. at this and the other one is completely new and Wally does not have fucking time for it. Like <laughs> like when he's talking to Superman he even says I don't have a lot of patience for this kid calling himself Green Lantern, you know? <laughs> And it's legit from his perspective, but yeah, he, he, the, we'll talk more about the JLA as mythology here in a minute, but you aren't going to get a lot of that kind of interiority and humanity Mm -hmm. at large. You'll get it every now and then, but not at large. And Kyle really is like the closest you get to a viewpoint character for us. The guy who walks around Mount Olympus going, what the fuck? (laughs) You know? Yeah, no, I absolutely love it. I mean, the thing is, like, at a certain point, I was like, okay, I know Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman, you know? And then I went through and I started counting, like, all of the characters who have (laughs) lines or who are... And there's, like, more than 20 in, like, you know, that many, a little more than that pages, right? You know? So there's all of these people. There's all this stuff going on. And, like, I, you know, I forgive myself for not being able to follow all of it, even after sure. having read it three times in total by the time we come to record this. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, I, I you know, it's, it's a lot. Everything's swirling. Everything's all over the place. But I'm in. You know, like, it didn't lose me. It didn't drop me. I'm, you know, I'm still, like, into this. And I'm very into seeing what my general advice for writers dial to 11 looks like. (laughs) And Grant Morrison is delivering that fucking pizza. Let me tell you. Okay. So as you have that in mind, I, I I don't want to give anything away, but I don't think it will to you, but Mm -hmm. I want to say that they mention two specific characters as getting sick or losing their powers. And you don't know who either one of them are, but one of them is named Firehawk and the other one is named Fire. Like yes. she, fire and ice are kind of a, a duo within the Justice League, mm-hmm. right? So you see ice right. on panel, but fire is missing, and they call that out specifically. Mm-hmm. Everything's dialed up to 11. You don't know who those people are, but you see that fire is in both of their names. And there's a point here in a couple issues where you're going to go, oh. Okay. So but why how are we open fast? talking about Firehawk? 
And they don't even know. They're like, we don't know if it's a man or a woman. We don't know what gender right. you know, this is. And um, and I was like, okay. And then later on, I believe somebody uh, identified them as she um, for Firehawk. That's definitely fire. Yeah, fire is definitely a she. Okay. I right. can't. I can't remember which Firehawk was in action in 1997. I'm sorry, I, but no. You know what? <laughs> Forgiven. Right. I've read this three times. I still don't know what the fuck is happening. But it's going to matter. It's going to matter. Like, like those are clues. Mm -hmm. They're not huge clues. And even somebody who knows those characters could cruise right past mm -hmm. those two mentions. Because the whole point, of, again, doing multiple things. The whole point of that Firehawk interaction is that yes. nobody knows who the fuck Firehawk is. Mm -hmm. And then when Ice says, fire is sick or something, she couldn't be here. You're like, well, of course. They've been in the JLA for the past, you know, handful of years. And they're like a... Duo, the two mm -hmm. of them. So of course, Ice is mentioning when fight. You, you know, you just cruise past it. You, even I was like, eh, all right, whatever. And then in a couple issues, you're going to be like, oh shit, that was a clue. And yeah. it's you know, um, and and yeah, it's doing multiple things, and that scale is no excuse for not laying track. Yeah. For your revelations. Well, I mean, that's the thing. That's my experience in comics now is that everything matters. Nothing is thrown mm -hmm. away because you have to have such efficiency to tell a story. Like there's no moments that are just there because everything serves a purpose, which speaks to my little writer heart, because that is what I always want people to do is to yeah, everything yeah. should have a purpose. Use every part of the pick. All right, so let's go ahead and talk a little bit. As we're talking about like this incredible efficiency, Grant Morrison does feel like a writer who was built specifically to delight me. To delight you? To delight oh, that's me. exciting. I think so. I think so. That's I think exciting. That, like, all of these things that I tell writers to do, Grant Morrison is doing on a scale that is beyond my comprehension, but I am super appreciating it. So let's go ahead and talk about this uh, this writer. So I, I the main thing I want to uh, point out before I get personal with it is the contrast here. I, I mentioned Brubaker does all of the same stuff. We talked about yeah. literally the same techniques, right? Mm -hmm. But it's a different kind of story. Not small, mm -hmm. but more personal, yes. you know, more close, more claustrophobic, more espionage than big picture. Mm -hmm. But it's the same techniques. Like mm -hmm. it's the same. No scene is only here for this one thing. Yeah. But what I appreciate very much is how much Morrison takes that to mm -hmm. these these epic, ridiculous heights. It's not appropriate for everything, but it is for this story. And I love that contrast. I love that that's really working for you. Mm -hmm. Because, like I say, this was, I think, my first serious read of a Grant Morrison work. Mm -hmm. And they have absolutely become just... I, I don't think I can explain the impact that Grant Morrison's work and approach has had upon mm -hmm. my appreciation for superheroes and how I approach storytelling, honestly. Yeah. Um, it's a big deal. And in a, without... Uh, uh, fi find me on Discord, I guess, because uh, I'm not going to go into this wild rabbit trail. But also, uh, in a very roundabout, but also completely obvious and retrospect way, Grant Morrison has even had a massive impact on the way I approach my spiritual life now. Wow. So, mm -hmm. um, really impactful, like, as a, as a writer. And part of that is just being really fucking good at their job. Mm -hmm. So, I wanted to hit a little bit about what it was like 
for me personally, but also readers at the time. Uh, like I mentioned before, the, the Bucky reveal in Captain America being completely yeah. never a thing we could have foreseen. Like it, it was a nuclear blast, right? Like in the Captain America comics. This was like that for the JLA and for the DC universe kind of at large. Um, I was kind of tired of superhero comics in 1997. Uh, I was kind of like walking around the party saying goodbye to everybody and looking for my coat. Yeah. And I found this on a grocery store spinner rack, <laughs> and uh, which I think is probably the last time that I bought a comic book at the grocery store yeah. was this. So, so wild to me. And it this book made me a Morrison fan, made me a DC fan just before that DC golden age was going to hit where everything was really good. Um, this run, we will get to it eventually, gives birth to what is still the greatest line-wide crossover. DC 1 million replaced every single book DC was putting out in a month. And it hangs together. It's tremendous. Um, it's just my favorite superhero comics by my favorite writer at the favorite time to be a superhero fan. And while that's really specific and personal to me, it is not... It, if I'm having that experience kind of turn to 11, the rest of readers were having it kind of turn to seven or eight. Like mm -hmm. I was not a unique snowflake. I was just really having it yeah. even more. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that approach, because uh, uh, I mentioned JLA as mythology, right? Um, there is a ton that could be said here, especially in terms of how Morrison's feelings on that have evolved since 1997. Mm -hmm. They are 62 years old now. Like they are well into, you know, middle age. And that is, uh, they are no longer quite the fresh face. These are our aspirational, like corporate America fucks up our aspirations is a real thing being baked into Morrison's work with superheroes right now. In fact, they have just finished what they are saying will be their last superhero work. Oh, wow. Okay, so big, yeah. big stuff. And it was Superman. It was a Superman story that picks up threads, some of which are laid in this run, even. Mm -hmm. So, um, but one thing that Morrison specifically came out and say is that they were mapping the JLA to Greek gods, kind of yeah. specifically. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't want to take too long with this, but let's play a little game. You know, <laughs> some of these are really obvious, I think. So, like, who do you think Superman's supposed to be? Uh, Hercules? No, Zeus. Zeus. Like, he's in charge. He's the right? Okay, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, Zeus is a sky god. Yeah. Like, you could absolutely make a case for, uh, like, one of the Greek sun gods, but the sun <laughs> gods weren't really as important as Zeus, who was just a general sky god, but he yeah. was also a lawgiver for better or for worse the moral also an compass asshole, though like uh yes let's put a pin in the fact that all greek <laughs> gods are assholes and we hope the jla aren't right but as archetypes yes. okay. right like right, the right, sky right, god right. Yeah. lawgiver most mm -hmm. powerful you know kind of thing uh batman batman um i do atlas God of War. Hades. Hades. Oh, fuck yes. Of course, Hades. Yes, I see A that A dark figure mm -hmm. lives underground. Mm -hmm. God of wealth knows everybody's fucking secrets because the skeletons <laughs> are literally buried. Uh, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Um, I, Athena. Good one. Very good one. Athena is a really on-the-nose guess. I think it's very good. Like, goddess of war and wisdom. Or Diana right? the Huntress. 
<laughs> her name is uh, Diana. Is that we get a literal huntress later? So Ooh, uh, all right, yeah. Put that like that's actually her superhero name. So mm-hmm. you know that's more in the in that space. Um, the other one I really like for Wonder Woman is Aphrodite because while ah. she is very wise and is mm-hmm. able to kick all the ass, she's an ambassador of peace. Like the Amazons live in peace. Mm-hmm. Like that's their deal. We don't fuck with dudes because dudes start wars. We don't start wars, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so the idea of like as a goddess of love, mm-hmm. love it. Okay, yeah. uh, Flash. Uh, Flash Thor, god of lightning, is the only thing I think of. Who's Speedy? So oh, he would speedy. be a Norse god. Um, Achilles. Achilles. Hermes. That? Hermes. Okay. Yeah. Winged helmet, winged shoes. There you go. Messenger of the gods. Wow. Existed right. in a liminal space, mm-hmm. like was always on the move, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. All right. Last one because you love him. Because I could do this with, I could, I mean, Aquaman's <laughs> obvious. He's Poseidon, right? Yeah. You know, there's some of these are real on the nose. Uh-huh. What do you, how do you feel about uh, Kyle, Green Lantern? Who oh, is he? about Green Lantern. Who would Green Lantern be? I seriously have no idea. He is a stand-in for Apollo, who okay. is the the secondary god uh-huh. of the sun, more like a god of light, mm-hmm. which again, all of the Green Lantern creations are made from light, mm-hmm. like from plasma. Well, lantern, uh, there you go, sure. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Apollo also big about uh, imagination, like uh, the oracle at Delphi mm-hmm. was his... Uh, he was the patron of yes. Delphi. Mm-hmm. So like uh, that kind of insight and creativity and the madness that creativity can bring is a little more Dionysus. We'll mm-hmm. get one of those. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in this space of like creation, life giving, light and imagination is Green Lantern. And you can do this with everybody and a few more as they join. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. I mean, clearly my knowledge of both superheroes and Greek mythology is not extensive. Um, well, you'll be shocked to know I think there's some overlap there. And I've yeah. also been doing various mythologies since I was, you know, tiny. So yeah. everyone's forgiven for not having <laughs> wasted their mental landscape like I have. I don't think it's but, a waste. Um, it's benefiting. All your misspent youth is absolutely benefiting <laughs> greatly because I've been able to learn so much about this stuff by working with you. So where that comes here is I want you to keep that in mind, because, again, you don't get a lot of like that interiority and and humanity Mm and mythology because it's they're not human most of the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be an element of that in the JLA. And it's on purpose. Mm -hmm. It's not like Morrison is unaware that you need personal hooks. Look, here's Green Lantern. He, Mm -hmm. He lets that's really the like personal hook humanity mule. Yeah. For a long time, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, so Morrison's not unaware, but they're doing something else with these characters. And it's not just, can we play a mapping game? It's very much a, how does this affect the way that we tell these stories? All right, so I have to say that, like, my favorite part of every podcast I do is always when we're talking about what our favorite part of the story was. So in this issue, what is your favorite piece of art? Okay, I'm a... I'm adjacent to some of your business here, but I just, it's real talk. The two page spread of Green Lantern fucking everyone up and rising to the challenge. Mm -hmm. Like, the art, it... The, the two pages across, like the whole thing like flows through there. He's the, the narration 
is very present, but it doesn't kind of overshadow the action. Um, there are, I mean, I mentioned the uh, running the ring is like trying to quit cigarettes and he's a 60 pack a day man St- has stuck with me forever. The phrase he thinks green thoughts and his thoughts become things. That's one of those things. Like I think about that once or twice a month. Wow. Like I just think about that line mm-hmm. because it sums up exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, and how the ring works. So like, yeah. you're like, how the fuck does green lantern work? He thinks green thoughts and his thoughts become things. That's how it well, works. I mean, I think that's interesting psychologically too, because I think that mm-hmm. a lot of the way that we think shapes the way our lives, you know, pan out. Yes. What happens, you know, um, because of the way that we think. And so changing the way that you think can literally actually change your life entirely. Um, and so I think that that's kind of a neat, you know, metaphor. Mm-hmm, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Uh, I have to say for me, like that last panel where Batman is coming at us saying, this is war. We're done with this shit. I'm not fucking around with these people. I do not have the kind of time or patience for this. And he is just going into it. And I got to say, like, I, I've never been. I think Batman is probably the DC hero that I I enjoy the most. Um, I mm-hmm. think I think there's something in his um, in his darkness in in that that like kind of grungy sort of feel to the character that I really really enjoy. Everybody else in DC has felt for me a bit shiny, and I think a lot of that r- reflects my lack of experience, deep experience mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. these characters. Um, but Batman being like, what, you know, as soon as I saw him coming on the page and he was like ready to fuck some shit up, I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna enjoy that. <laughs> The thing about Batman in this particular run, this is actually the beginning of me really becoming a Batman fan, mm-hmm. honestly, mm-hmm. Um, is that you're not going to get as much of that grit and human level stuff with him because he's got to be able to run with the JLA in this, right? right? Mm-hmm. So is he punching people like Superman is going to be able to punch people? No. Mm-hmm. And and it's not like everybody else is an idiot. They're yeah. standing in that room going, this is some fucked shit. But he's the one who shows up and is like, uh, incidentally, there's a bunch of fucking mind control. Uh, by the way, <laughs> I, you know, this is an invasion, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. You're going to get that like hyper competent, mm-hmm. very self-possessed, very self-assured. You know, uh, there'll be a moment when it's like, we're all doing the thing. Where'd Batman go? And Superman's going to be like, Batman is taking care of Batman shit. Mm-hmm. And people will be like, do you know what his shit is? I do not. But I trust the man to be a fucking professional. So let's all go do our shit. You know, he's not the best team player. But part of that is because, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, well, none of us know what's going on. Like he knows what's going on. And yeah, to have him just show up at the very end and just be like, "Uh, yeah, it's war, people. It's beautiful. <laughs> I I keep your eye on him in these first four issues. Oh, I'm going to be I really like excited to hear your response to the Batman that exists in this space. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. All right. What's your favorite part of the story? Uh, honestly, it's the relentless escalation mm-hmm. that happened. Like it just keeps ratcheting up on every page all the way until the end up until this means war, mm-hmm. you know? And it does it so well and so seamlessly and so technically proficiently, you didn't even realize you were being exposited at. Yes. Yes. No, it's it's amazingly done. And that's because they're doing more than one thing in every panel. 
They're doing at least two things in every panel. There is not a breath in this that is wasted. And that does tend to give you that sort of like whirly gig, relentless feel. Mm-hmm. But that's part of that's part of what this is doing deliberately. And so like, yes. I, I like it. Like these feelings of just being overwhelmed by it. When you're working with a writer and writers and artists who, who understand that it, that's exactly what they're doing to a purpose, then that's mm-hmm. great. I hate that feeling when I feel like I don't trust the people telling the story yes, yes. to guide me along that they might just be, you know, doing this because they don't know what else to do. Um, mm-hmm. But in confident, you know, hands, um, that kind of feeling is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, like my overwhelm at everything that is in this that is dial <laughs> to 11 uh, is not a bad thing. Like, I don't have a problem with that. I think that it's really, really interesting and it's a new experience for me. I haven't had this a lot, you know? Yeah. Uh, most yeah. storytelling moves a bit too slow for me. Um, yes. But I'm actually really enjoying being given exactly what I asked for and let's see how you do, Lonnie, right? <laughs> I feel like the Captain America stuff moves like exactly the speed of Lonnie. Yes. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. but this one is asking you to hold on a little tighter, I like be it. a little bit by your fingernails, I but like because, and, and this is not because I'm so clever, but because of what the, the remit of this show is, yeah. is that I can say to you, it will be okay. We're yes. only doing the bangers. It's you're in safe hands, right. which lets, you know, someone like yourself, who's really, really focused on it instead of being like, oh, this is all like slapdash to cover up the bullshit. Right. No, it's actually doing the it's thing. And so, yeah, yeah, every page, mm-hmm. it gets more, 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 more. And sometimes in more bombast and sometimes in more subtle ways, like you mentioned the page of everybody just reacting to yep. the newscast. Mm-hmm. It Man. So, yeah. So just relentless escalation. Buckle up. Doesn't really slow down. <laughs> It low-key escalates between arcs. Uh, like, yeah. oh, the next arc will be bigger, and the next arc will be bigger. So. How do you, how, like, and how do you go bigger? Like, you know, when you've gone this far, and this is one of the things, like, when I teach writing, I often, like, when I talk about escalation. Escalation could be a thing that can be confusing. It's like, well, you know, we've done this. We've made it worse. How do we make it even worse? How do we make it even worse? How do we put more pressure on? How do we do that, you know? And part of that is, you know, like, moderating your escalation. Like, you can escalate in little clicks, like the roller coaster going up, you know, mm-hmm, like, click, mm-hmm. click, 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 click. And this is, like, hi, you're in a roller coaster, and it starts to click. And then somebody lights a jetpack at the back of the roller coaster and the part that you're in goes flying out of the amusement park into space. That's a DC escalation. Yep. Yeah. It's especially a JLA and Morrison escalation. Yes, absolutely. All right, Lonnie. I know that you appreciate my favorite part, but I'm desperate to know again because I, I edged up to it. What is your favorite part? Oh, Green Lantern. Like, I think I telegraphed this pretty, you know, much at the, at the earlier parts of the podcast. But uh, Green Lantern feeling not up to the task, um, you know, of saving the entire JLA from space annihilation, which is a thing, <laughs> right? And then he fucking does it. Like, you know, feeling like you can't do something and actually not being able to do it are two totally different things. And to see that illustrated, um, you know, within this, you know, highly escalated, you know, everything dial to 11 kind of universe, seeing that human moment of, oh, my God, I don't know if I can do this is something that, you know, anybody who's tried to do something that is 
like, you know, stretching their abilities a bit. Mm-hmm. It has that feeling of like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can pull this off. Um, and when you've got the stakes that Green Lantern has, most of us don't have the people who regularly save the world right their lives on the line while you're trying like that is huge stakes um but i love that he's not sure and he does it anyway um that to me is is so great and that moment where he's like it's like playing with the beatles and then he fucking pulls it out i'm like fuck no man the beatles are playing with you he's my favorite i love him it's that that is gonna be an ongoing thing. And if you read it again, now uh-huh. that I've kind of pointed out Metamorpho yeah. to you, Metamorpho had really been the dad mm-hmm. of the last version of the Justice League. Yeah. And he gives Kyle some shit. And then when it, but when it gets down to it, Kyle's like, do you think I can handle it? And he's like, you're the guy with the ring. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then when Kyle leaves, it's like a close up of Metamorpho smiling and he's like, go get him, Green Lantern. Aww. Like, it's fucking hot. Man, I, I love that shit. All of that because I didn't know who Metamorpho was and I didn't understand any of that stuff. And I was just so like into the Green Lantern and paying attention to him. Um, I'm gonna have to definitely reread this again. And I think that that's the thing, <laughs> is that it's like it's like the gum that flavor like takes forever. Like you can chew it forever and it's still gonna have that flavor. Like I think that you need to go back and re revisit this material in order to really get everything out of it, you know? Um, so I will definitely be doing that. All right, we'll be back next week with JLA Volume 1, Number 2, The Day the Earth Stood Still, in which the JLA has absolutely had enough of the Hyper Clan's bullshit, but things go from good to worse when Superman is taken prisoner and Batman is presumed dead. Thanks for listening to In the Gutter with Joshua Unruh and Lonnie Diane Rich. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider talking about it with your friends, leaving a review somewhere, or supporting Chipperish Media patreon.com slash chipperish.